Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I ask this morning we would sense again, see again, what actually occurred on the cross. I pray that we would sense the freedom that we have been given, sense the glory that we have been given. Amen. I'm still experimenting with church architecture. The tarp has driven me back to the floor, and I think the floor may be where I remain. In Galatians 6, verse 11, there's a funny, funny phrase where Paul says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And if you find yourself wondering, what in the world is he talking about? Paul likely wrote his letters through a scribe, dictating orally to the scribe. And in this moment, he gets so worked up that he goes over and he takes the pen out of that scribe's hand and he starts writing in three or four inch tall letters to make his point clear like a kindergartner's script across the page. And you can imagine the Galatian church reading it going, whoa, what's going on here? I want to actually talk, though, about verse 14. Paul's statement, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross. Framed positively, Paul is actually saying that the cross is our only boast, not our success. Not our reputation, not the size of our bank account, not having the perfect life. The cross, this is our only boast. But it's actually important to realize that what he means by boast is much more than just what we think about when we talk about bragging. This is not just a matter of the lips, what you say, what you brag about. Because most of us are far too polite to brag most of the time. What Paul means by boasting is what you actually value in the depths of your heart, what your pride is in, what your sense of worth is in. And I think realizing this will help us understand what he's saying. Because most of us, even though we're far too polite to brag openly with our lips, understands what it means to have something in our heart that is the source of our pride. Something in our heart that is the source of our sense of worth. The place where we glory on ourselves and say, this is where I'm good enough. This is the thing that I have to offer. We may, never boast, we may not boast outwardly, but there are so many things that we actually put our worth in. And I think all of us can identify with that, even if we wouldn't boast out loud. But Paul's statement is very simple. The cross is the only boast worth having. The cross is the only place where we should have pride. It's the only place, in other words, where we we should glory. It's the only place where we should sense that we have worth. And this really is what I want to talk about with you all today. The fact that the only thing that matters in evaluating ourselves ends up being the cross. Because that's what Paul is saying to us. His reasoning, if you look at what follows, is that through the cross, the world has been crucified to us and we have been crucified to the world. This is just his justification for the claim that the cross is the only place of worth. 
It's the fact that we've been crucified to the world and the world to us. And he doesn't mean by this that we no longer live in the world. Like, he's not advocating that Christians go into some, like, I don't know, go to Bolivia or somewhere, to Mars, and set up a colony and escape the world. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians 5 that you can't do that. You can't leave the world. He's not saying that the things of the world, like politics or food or money or the basic structures of society, no longer matter to us. He's not making that claim. This is not what he means when he says, you've been crucified to the world. He's not saying that, like, heaven only matters. Ignore everything else. Be blissful and peacefully unaware of all that's going on in the world. Heaven is the only... He's not saying that either. All over the scriptures, we see that we are supposed to be engaged in our world. Even in this very passage, he says, do good to all, especially those of the faith. That would imply that the all includes people who are not inside this room, people out there in the world. We are not supposed to be escaping the world. But he says, yet through the cross, you've been crucified to the world, and the world has been crucified to you. What he means here is that the world, and he uses this word frequently in his letters to describe that part of creation that is in opposition to God. And it's important to hang on to that idea that the world is that part of creation that's opposed to God, that's fighting against him. And what he means by you have been crucified to that and that to you is very simply that the world's systems of judgment, the world's beliefs, and really what I want to get down to is that the world's value system, what it calls good, the life that it thinks worth living, all of that stuff has been crucified to you and you to it. You've been separated, severed, cut off from what the world calls the good life, the worthy life. You've been set free. In other words, what the world calls success or beauty is no longer the standard that matters to you. We see him applying this in 1 Corinthians 4. We're speaking to the Corinthians who were judging him. He says, I don't even judge myself. The only thing that matters is what Jesus says about me. The world's way of evaluating success no longer applies. Even more than that, to the Colossians who were under the press of a worldly system of evaluation of ethics, he says even the world's understanding of right and wrong, of good and bad, of what you ought to be doing, this doesn't apply. He says to the Colossians, don't be held captive by the elemental principles of the world. You've been cut off from the world's standards of what is good, what is beautiful, what's successful, what's valuable. This is what he means when he says that the cross has crucified you to the world and the world to you. You've been set free from the race that the world is running, the race to achieve a good enough life. You've been set free from that. You don't have to go down that path anymore. That's not the standard of a judgment that applies to you. That's not what's valuable anymore. We can sort of gather from different places in his writings and the rest of Scripture this idea that actually achieving what the world calls success, achieving what the world calls success, literally adds nothing of value to the Christian. This is one of those things that we need to let sink into our hearts. In Colossians 3, I mean Colossians 3, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says to the Corinthians, don't boast because all things are already yours. 
literally achieving the world's standards of success cannot add to what you've been given, is his point. There is nothing that can be added. Think about Jesus' statement. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If the kingdom of heaven is actually yours, of what value is the world's understanding of success? You can't add to the kingdom of heaven. Later in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. These are statements that are so mind-boggling that we basically just sort of skate by them and pretend like they're not there. Because if it's actually true that we inherit the world, what can you add to that? What could you gain by the labors of your life to make you more successful in terms of what God's actually offering? This is the point, that the world's standards of success don't matter because all things are already offered to you. This is the inheritance that's waiting. Everything of value is offered. Nothing is held back. This is what it says at the end of 1 Corinthians 3, that all things are yours. But even in addition to this idea that all things are already yours, this is the idea that I already hinted at, that we have actually been separated from the world's valued system. We've been set free to live in a totally different way. We've been set free to live for a different king and in a different kingdom. And this is really what's at the heart of this passage, that we've been set free to live for a different king in a different kingdom, a different king with different standards of judgment, a different king with different standards of success. And if you were to say, okay, so what are that king's standards of judgment? What are that king's standards of success? It's not in your order of service, but you only have to bump back one chapter in Galatians to hear Paul say, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, the perfection of the Jews or the perfection of the Gentiles, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, these things count for nothing. And you say, okay, so what, what matters? And he says, but the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Faith working through love. This is the new mode of success the new evaluation of what it makes a life worth living, the new worth, the new value for us. The king's standards for you, the king's standards for me are very simple. Faith working through love. Faith that receives all things that he offers and love then that freely gives it away to those in need around us. Faith working through love. This is why Paul can actually say in verse 10 of chapter 6, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The king's standards of judgment are different. And so he can say, do good to everyone. Even that claim is actually just a generalizing of the principle that he started with in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Just as sort of an aside, this isn't just a verse there to make certain that the preacher gets paid. Let the one who is taught share all good things with the one who teaches. What Paul's doing is he's holding up two different positions and giftings, and he's saying, everybody, whatever you've been given in this body, whatever you've been given, whether you've been given the ability to teach, whether you've been given money, whether you've been given stamina and strength to serve, whether you, if you've been given an extra measure of faith, 
If you've been given the ability to discern things, wisdom, whatever you've been given, share it with each other. Give it back and forth. Take whatever you're good at in the body and give it freely to the other people in the body. He gives a specific application, but then that general statement, do good to all, especially those in the faith. You see, the world's judgment says this, and this is going back to this idea of we've been set free from the world's judgment. But the world's judgment says you are only valuable if you make something of yourself. This is the way the world works. You're only worth something if you do enough, if you are enough. And so the world has this sense, like in order to be worth emulating, to count, to be worthy of success, you have to do something, have enough, be enough, be beautiful enough, be smart enough, be athletic enough. And if this is the method of proving yourself worth something, what do you do with the gifts that you've been given? Well, you use them on yourself. You build yourself up. You make yourself strong and beautiful and powerful and wealthy. This is the world's standards. It's the way that it works. You use what you've been given for your own self because in order to be worth something, you've got to be something. And so use it for yourself and use it for yourself and don't give it away and don't give it away. And we really don't expect anybody to start giving it away until they, like the robber barons, get so rich that everybody gets really angry at them and they have a guilty conscience for everybody they stepped along on the way and so then they start founding universities. But they still put their name on them. This is the world's method. Use what you've been given to build yourself up as big as you can. But the judgment of the new creation... The judgment of the new creation, the judgment of the new creation is that on the cross, and I want, this is not unfamiliar, but I want you to hear this. On the cross, Jesus literally exchanged his life for yours. On the cross, he literally exchanged his glory for your shame. On the cross, he literally gave his value to you. On the cross, he literally said, this one gets counted in the kingdom of God as valuable as me. So that right now, those who are on the other side of the cross are seen by the Father as being as valuable as Jesus Christ himself. That on the cross, he literally said, everything that I have, it's yours. It's yours already. I freely give it to you. You have the value, you have the worth, you have the dignity of Jesus Christ himself because he freely gives his life to you. And when we wrestle with that, when we come to terms with that, when we come to terms with the fact that because Jesus is ours and he created all things and all things are possessed by him, that means all, all things are already ours. When we come to terms with the kingdoms, the new creation standard of judgment, we realize, wow, it would be remarkably silly to try to use my abilities to build myself up because I can't elevate myself any higher than Jesus has already elevated me. I can't make myself any more valuable than he's already made me valuable. In fact, to try to prove that I'm valuable by the world's standards is to mistrust that Jesus actually means what he says when he says that you are as valuable to me as everything. You hear that? 
that to try to play the world's games of saying, I've got to be good enough for them. I think one of the beauties of Instagram is that it's revealed how much we play this game. This game's always been going on. I've got to be as valuable as so-and-so. And in order to do it, I've got to have this car or this house or this education or whatever it is. These standards of evaluation have been always going on. But Instagram's revealed to us how desperately we want to be that. But Jesus is saying very simply, if I've given you everything that is mine, if on the cross I literally exchanged my glory for your shame, for you to seek to play that game is to actually mistrust that I would give you my glory, to mistrust that I would give you my life itself. And so if this is true, then you go, so, that, so then what do I do with what I've been given? If I'm not spinning it on myself, building myself up anymore, what do I do with what I've been given? And Paul's statement is clear. Whatever you've been given, share it with the others in the body. Give it away. You don't need to build yourself up anymore. Just give it away. Give it away to everyone. Do good to all, especially those of the household of the faith. There's no need to build up what Christ has already built Paul's metaphor for the giving it away is that it's like a farmer scattering seed. It's a gardener putting the seeds in the pots in the greenhouse. And he's saying, guess what? Just like in gardening, every seed that you plant will produce a particular type of plant. Every seed that you put in the ground is going to produce something. And don't be surprised when what grows is exactly what you plant. The seeds of the kingdom, give your abilities away to those you meet. This is what he means by sowing to the Spirit in this passage. Give your abilities away to those who need them. What does he say grows when the seeds of the kingdom are sown? Eternal life. Eternal life. When we sow like that's staggering. That's staggering. That if you sow your abilities for one another, if you sow to the Spirit by freely giving away, he says eternal life grows there that life springs forth when we offer ourselves. And you say, how is that possible? And you say, because in that moment, you're acting like Jesus. And whenever people act like him, he shows up. The seeds of the flesh, to sow to yourself, to use your abilities just to promote yourself according to the world's standards, what does it produce? Corruption. Corruption and death. It results in nothing. By the way, most of us know that instinctively. Many of us have tried to sow to ourselves over and over and over. And many of us have discovered that when we do that, nothing good comes from it. Nothing good comes from the selfish, I will promote myself and I will make myself something. We only end up causing death when we act like that. Most of us, when we do that, are not sowing to the flesh because of, we're sort of like intentionally selfish. It's like we have this instinctive bent, and you could say this is just a product of the fall, but we have this instinctive bent, this sort of intuition, this gut-level mistrust, this sort of belief that, like the world says, I'm only valuable if my life looks like this. We don't really mean to believe those things. We don't choose to believe those things. We're inundated with that message everywhere we turn. The world's saying that you are of value if your life looks like this. 
And we, we could step back and go, logically, I know that's not true. And yet those voices still hold so much sway over us. So much sway. This is why the command had to be given to the Colossians. Don't be held captive to the elemental principles of the world. This is why the statement to the Corinthians had to come forth who are playing the same game. Do not judge one another according to the standards of the world. Over and over we see these commands and you go, these commands wouldn't need to be given if Christians just had it easy living like this. The point is we have been trained by the world's voice. The world's voice that says you are only valuable if your life looks like this. We've been trained by that. It's hard not to believe that message. And so we begin to boast, again, not with our lips, but in the sense of where we place our worth. We begin to boast in so many other places. So many things saying, I will be valuable if. I will be valuable if. And again, as soon as we say it out loud, we realize it's ridiculous. We know it's not true. But we feel it. And we believe it. And it drives where we sow our seeds. It drives what we do with our abilities. It drives what we do with our time, our gifting, our money. It drives our worries. It drives our anxieties. It drives our fear. We're forgetting. We're misbelieving, disbelieving. We're forgetting all the while the statement. The statement that Paul makes. You've been severed from the world. Cut off. Crucified to it. Its standards of judgments don't matter anymore. Its version of success is meaningless to you. You cannot add with that method to what Christ has done. You can't get a bigger inheritance than the one that is waiting for you. There's nothing, and this is perhaps where it becomes most personal for most of us, there is literally nothing that you can do to add to your value. Nothing. And if you say, well, that kind of makes me despair. Can't I do something? You go, no, 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 no. The point is there's nothing you can do to your value because you are already immensely valuable in the eyes of our Father. Because he has literally given you the life and glory of his Son. As Paul says in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You cannot improve on that. And so don't wear yourself out trying. Don't wear yourself out trying. You've been given all things. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. The very earth is yours, given as your inheritance. In the new kingdom, you are going to be ruling over the world with Jesus Christ. Improve on that one if you can. Make that one more valuable. You can't. You've been adopted into the very family of God. In the language of Ephesians, you've been given every spiritual blessing. You've already been seated in the heavenly places. These are all phrases from Paul's letters. You were already given all that is good. This is why Paul says that our only boast, our only hope, our only glory, our only treasure, the only place of worth for us is the cross. Nothing else matters. It was on the cross that Jesus exchanged his glory for your shame. This is why we boast in the cross. Because there, my life suddenly was given value that I could never achieve for myself. On the cross, his glory was offered to me. It was on the cross that his purity was exchanged for our filth. We all know what filth feels like. 
But on that cross, His purity was exchanged for your filth. It was on the cross that His glory was offered for your shame. His life for your death. His, on the cross, everything that God is was freely given to you. And so Paul says, why would I ever boast anywhere else? Why would I ever seek value anywhere else? The cross is all that matters. Amen.